really try to get them to focus less on what's been accomplished in the past and focus more on the present and what goals they want to set for themselves and what legacy they want to leave behind for that given year. What I found is that you really can't skip steps. It doesn't matter how much, it, how much time it takes, you have to cover it and you have to make sure it's done correctly. To me, culture defines who you are as a group, what you value, everything that you want to remain consistent within your club year after year. I think if you really want your players to buy in and truly establish what your culture is, they have to have ownership of it and be a big part of establishing it. If we talk about culture and standards, but nothing gets enforced and there's no accountability, then I really feel that I'd be failing as a leader. Fellas, 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 welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. On this episode, we sit down with Fred Hilliard, head coach of Malvin Prep. In eight seasons as a skip, he's led the Friars to five Pennsylvania State... Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'll just start <laughs> I that knew part. that was going to get you, bro. Oh, mother Friars and the fucking Pennsylvania back-to-back. All right, I'm going to go from there. Okay. In eight seasons as a skip, he's led the Friars to five Pennsylvania state titles, as well as five national top 25 rankings, collecting over 250 career wins to this point in his coaching career. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Coach Hilliard. Welcome back to the farm system. We're here with Fred Hilliard, head coach of Malvern Prep. Coach, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the farm system. My pleasure, guys. Big fan of your show and I appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. Well, you know, Fred, again, it is truly our our pleasure to have you on. I mean, with all the success that you've had over, um, you know, over at Malvern and, and just again, just we had players reach out and really just say how much you've done for them and the impact that you've had on and Again, with us being a holistic podcast, we want to really spread around and spread around that knowledge and coaches that are really impacting the game. So thanks again for jumping on with us. Yeah, my pleasure. I appreciate you guys having me and uh, really glad to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we kind of get things started here, Fred, can you give our listeners a little background of yourself by taking them through your journey to get to this point in your baseball career? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I grew up uh, in suburbs outside Philadelphia. Um, Always played a bunch of sports growing up, but always had a love for baseball. I think a lot of that comes from my dad. You know, as a youngster, I think coaches probably would have described me as one of those uh, coaches on the field type because I was always trying to, you know, think through the game as much as I possibly could. And our car, our car rides home uh, after games were a lot different than probably most kids. We weren't really talking about wins and losses or at-bats and hits and outs. You know, my dad would be teaching me, you know, crazy stuff at age 11 like, hey, remember when that guy was on first and you were playing short and uh, you got, you caught that humpback liner 
you know, next time, why don't you think about dropping it, touching the bag, and throwing the first for the double play? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be getting stuff like that, at, you know, in Little League, thrown my way. And I think, uh, you know, it just kind of inspired me to, to keep learning more about the game just because of the way he saw it. Um, then, you know, in high school, I continued to play three sports, but I, I knew I wanted to play baseball at the college level. Uh, I was lucky enough to receive a scholarship to play Division One baseball at Temple University. Um, you know, unfortunately, they got rid of the program a few years ago, but, you know, it was, it, we had a good time while we were there, um, won the Atlantic 10 Championship in 2001. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play there a good amount. As uh, I got closer to the end of my collegiate career, I realized that professional baseball wasn't going to be an option for me. Uh, just didn't have that kind of ability and, you know, had to come to terms with that, like like a lot of kids do. But uh, I knew I wasn't done with the game, and I figured I'd find a way to stay involved uh, through instruction and coaching. Uh, after I graduated, I was taking some graduate courses. I stayed involved by working as a private instructor, you know, giving lessons uh, to earn some cash. That winter, Mike Rooney, um, who a lot of people might know as the college baseball analyst, but he's a local guy from this area who actually attended Malvern. Uh, he and his dad actually reached out to school unbeknownst to me to tell them, you know, to suggest they try to get me involved with coaching there. So the coach and the athletic director gave me a call. Probably wasn't the best move financially for me at the time uh, because the coaching money would be a lot less than what I was making as an instructor. But, you know, I wanted to teach. And my hope was that by coaching there that I'd possibly get a foot in the door for a teaching position. So the spring came and went. That summer, a teacher left. Uh, I interviewed, was hired for, uh, to teach at the school. I uh, stayed on as assistant coach for another four seasons. Um, the head coach uh, eventually uh, left. I was named interim coach because of the timing of it for the 2010 season. Uh, and later that summer, they removed the interim tag. Um, and I was named head coach at Malvern, I guess, at age 27. I had my first head coaching job at high school, and I've been head coach there ever since. Yeah, that's an awesome story. And, you know, because of all your hard work over at you know Malvern Prep now, they also have a really rich tradition of winning now. And now, you know, it has a lot of expectations to produce. And so, you know, I wanted you to kind of form that. And, and when you take all that in, how do you take that expectation and translate it into something positive to feed to your players? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, Malvern for years have been known for the baseball program. I feel like uh, we've been fortunate enough to raise that bar even higher. Uh, but like you said, with that comes an expectation um, that's sometimes pretty difficult to manage. But for us, we talk a lot about legacy with our guys. Uh, they're well aware of what previous teams have accomplished. They see the banners in the gym. They know there's a lot of pressure to live up to the standards that have been set by those who came before them. Um, that said, we truly, tr- really try to get them to focus less on what's been accomplished in the past and focus more on the present and what goals they want to set for themselves and what legacy they want to leave behind for that given year. You know, how do they want to be remembered as a team, you know, for, their, for that graduation year? What accomplishments are they aiming to achieve? Not what we've done in the past. What are they aiming to achieve? Uh, we try to hammer that home. You know, let, let, that last season or the season before really doesn't matter because that page has already been written. Focus on the now. Create your own identity as a team. Don't try to be anyone else but our, but yourselves for this season. Um, now, on the other side of that, we do have to remind them about the, the success that's happened in the past has happened for a reason. Uh, there, there's a commitment to doing things right and doing things our way, we like to say. Uh, it's very easy for newer players in our system to think, 
you know, hey, our, our jersey says Malvern on it, so all we got to do is show up and we're going to win, right? So what we, you know, when you've had success, it sometimes sometimes can take some time to make them understand that there's a reason we've had success. And if you don't lock into the fundamentals, the system, and our processes, it's not just going to happen for you. Uh, it takes a lot of work to be successful year in and year out. Uh, I always like to say it's much easier to stay motivated and focused on the climb up the mountain, but much harder to have that same motivation and focus when you get to the top and are trying to stay there. Uh, absolutely. That's such a good perspective and insight into how you've been able to build it there. Kind of wanted to transition a little bit. We'll dive into this a little bit deeper later on, but you're involved at the high school level in a couple of different ways as a coach. What do you like about coaching at the high school level? You know, there's a lot to like. Um, I feel, for starters, you really get to teach the game. You know, you're talking about 14 to 18-year-olds that you know, they may have talent, but they still have a lot to learn uh, about how the game's supposed to be played and, and little things. I really enjoy teaching the game, especially those little things. You also can't assume things at this level. I used to skip things, uh, you know, the beginning of the year of practices that I assumed our players already knew uh, in order to try to save time to put towards other things. Things like how to make a proper turn on an extra base hit, how to take a lead, um, how to line up a relay, et cetera. What I found is that you really can't skip steps. It doesn't matter how much, it, how much time it takes, you have to cover it and you have to make sure it's done correctly. Uh, I remember, you know, I'm a big reader. I remember reading one of John Wooden's books and how guys would be so excited to get there and couldn't wait to practice under, you know, this legendary coach and so excited to hear what he was going to teach them. And at the first practice every year, he'd be teaching them how to put their socks on correctly and how to lace up their shoes properly to avoid blisters. Um, what, what I took away from that is that the, at this level, there's no cutting corners. You, you really have to teach and coach everything. Um, and I really enjoyed that side of it. I also like that at this age, they're still boys. Yeah, we like to call them men, and we talk about how we're trying to mold them into young men, and you know, hopefully they leave as, as men. But they're still just teenagers, and they're dealing with a lot of stuff, both mentally, physically, and emotionally. The challenge to connect and reach them while also playing a part in their development into young men is both a challenge but also an extremely rewarding part of coaching at this age. Uh, there's a lot more to it than just wins and losses at this level. Um, you know, for, for example, I never feel like my job is on the line that if we win or lose, you know, say at a college or pro level, um, I look at them and I have a chance to be a role model and, and a very strong influence on what type of men these kids might become. Um, and that's not a responsibility that I take lightly. Lastly, um, I think it's a great level to create good habits that, that stay with them for the rest of their lives. At the college level, pro level, most of the players you'd be getting are already formulated a lot of their habits, both good and bad. Right now at our level, they're still developing the habits, traits, and characteristics that will stay with them uh, beyond when they finish playing baseball at Malvin Prep. One of my main priorities is to teach our kids what I feel are key traits in order to be successful, both as players, but more importantly as men, future husbands, future fathers, future employees, future employers. Um, my staff and I, you know, we don't want them just to be successful at high school baseball, but we want them to learn how to be, you know, hardworking and humble, empathetic, uh, caring, selfless, uh, have integrity, be, be good communicators, handle adversity well, you know, a bunch of, you know, we can go on and on with the traits, but we're trying to teach them now things that will be a part of who they are and who they become and go well beyond just the baseball field setting. To, to me, that's what makes coaching at this level unique 
really important and also really rewarding uh, to know you have the ability to impact them long before the rest of their lives. Yeah, Fred, I mean, that's it's awesome. Again, with me being a high school coach just last year, um, you know, just really taking in again, those players at that level are just so impressionable. Um, and they they're so open, you know, to uh, just understanding and like learning. And, you know, again, they're not like locked in and set on their ways like a lot of uh, college players are as well. Um, so it's just interesting, again, get at that level, I uh, I was talking to Bo about this at one point, too. It just and when I first started coaching high school, I was like kind of not intimidated. But again, I didn't want to deal with, the you know, the teenage. I was thinking about like the attitudes and some of that other stuff. And it's <laughs> funny um, when I ended up coaching high school, I actually really loved uh, that level just because, uh, again, I was closer to their age and uh, how they leaned to me on, you know, what, what they were going through in their lives and, you know, how you know, again, just giving them perspective on things, you know, that are going to happen later. And, you know, obviously in high school, anything that happens to you, it's, you know, the world is ending and the sky is falling. And so, you know, getting that yeah. opportunity to work with those guys and talk, you know, with them through um, a lot of those things that were happening, you know, off the baseball field was definitely rewarding. And so I definitely amend with you there. And, you know, again, I do uh, love that level um, quite a bit, but yeah. yeah, I just wanted to add that there, but um, you know, moving, moving forward, why does um, everyone talk about culture and what is it and why is it important to a team's success? That's a great question. I think everyone talks about culture uh, because it's pretty clear that if you don't have a culture, you really can't be consistent and you really can't sustain success uh, over time. Uh, you, you can have a good season from time to time. You might have a really good crop of players that comes through every few years. But without a consistent belief system that's defined and understood by all to enter your program, it's next impossible to continue or expect to continue to have the same success. You know, to me, culture defines who you are as a group, what you value, uh, everything that you want to remain consistent within your club year after year. It sets the expectations for how you want your program to run, how you want your coaches to treat players, how you want players to treat each other and uh, how you want how you represent yourself the program your school and your family something that we talk about constantly with our guys yeah man it's so good I kind of want you to take that run with it a step further kind of give us some insight into how you implement that in your program Uh, can you kind of open up how you go about setting establishing and then maintaining culture and buy-in sure absolutely Um, for us it starts with ownership of the culture throughout the program Um, We have some core values that we believe in, uh, but we take time in the beginning of the season for our own players to define define what those values mean to them and how they define them and how they're manifested. Uh, It'd be really easy for us just to preach culture to them and what it all means to us uh, as adults. But I think if you really want your players to buy in and, and truly establish what your culture is, they have to have ownership of, of it and be a big part of establishing it. Um, I think this really helps within our program because, you know, by letting them define it, we still talk about it, but we give, we give them a lot of say in terms of what they think is acceptable and unacceptable. And by doing so, they're much more likely to hold themselves and their teammates more accountable uh, to upholding it and valuing it. Once it's accomplished, you know, you can't stop reverting back to it. You continue to define it daily, use it as a coaching point, both collectively with the group, uh, but also individually. You know, for example, you know, if you saw a player uh, upset that you lift them from a game for, you know, a, a new pitcher or a pinch hitter, whatever, and then he, you know, sits and mopes on the bench, 
you, know, you might want to pull him aside and talk about whether he was being selfless in that moment. Um, it doesn't have to be you coming down on him because I think I want all my guys to want to stay in the game. Um, but they also have to understand their body language, how they, how they support their team can show a lot about what our culture is. Um, if you see them, you know, doing things carelessly at practice, it's a good time to stop practice and, and again, talk about what your expectations are and, and see if they agree that they're not living up to the culture set. Um, I, I, again, I, I can't stress enough how important it is that it can't be a one-way street. That They have to have a big say in it because, you know, it's it just like rules. Like, if you don't give a kid a reason to believe in a rule, they're they're obviously going to look to break it at some point. I think that they need to understand why it's important and have a say in why they feel that this should be the way. Yeah, no, and that's a really good point. And, you know, with that point, I wanted you to kind of open that up as well. Is your is your culture different year to year because you're giving them so much ownership, you know, those individual teams over what that culture is going to be? And then if that is so, you know, uh, what are some absolutes when you're talking about culture? What are some things that every single year that you want your team to embody? If you can open up both of those for us. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's different, uh, but how our guys define it can change. You know, we have our core values. Um, you know, I, I actually took these from, um, you know, Coach Lasnago at uh, TCU. Uh, the selflessness, excellence, and energy uh, are three main pillars that define our culture. Uh, they're absolutes to us. They don't change. However, how a team might characterize those values is up to them. So what we do when we take the time to define everything that falls under those three key pillars, I like to break them up in groups so that they can collaborate together. But, um, you know, th- there's multiple groups you know, kind of tackling each question, you know, what does, what's it mean? What does selflessness look like? What does it mean to you? You know, and I try to make sure I have a group of, of veterans that have been in the program long enough that they may have a better understanding of it all. Uh, while also I'm in a group of newer players that may not be thinking as deeply or complex about how it relates to our culture. You know, for example, when defining a, a value like excellence, you know, some might say, well, that's kind of broad. For us, it may take some prodding or extra motivation to get our guys to think more deeply about what that really means. Uh, our younger guys in a group might just focus on the baseball side of things, like you know, playing the game to the best of our ability, always hustling, um, you know, something very simple like that. Our older guys, I hope, would go far beyond and talk about how excellence permeates into all aspects of your life, meaning you're, you want to be the best student you can be in the classroom, the best brother and son you can be at home the best friend you can be socially, the best Christian in terms of how you treat others. You know, we hope that when we allow them to share out to the team how their individual groups each define each value, that the other groups have a light bulb go off inside their head and and realize much more about what these values mean and how they're forming our culture, um, not just on the field, but off the field. You know, lastly, then you just really hope that your players become the defenders of your culture. I was going to add, you know, there too, I I think that you made a great point in that as well. Even though those pillars may seem broad, they give, when you set really, you know, specific 
rules, then you kind of don't give yourself any leeway as a coach either, you know? So you, yeah. you, you want to be able to, in that sense, when you, you have those broader pillars of this is what our culture is going to, you know, embody, you give yourself the freedom to, again, connect it, you know, to a, a multitude of things in players' lives. And also you give them the freedom to take it into their own lives. If it's only things that are specific to your baseball team, again, I think you're almost giving them a disservice of not giving them a skill to take into their lives. So I really love that how you guys do that. And I just wanted to, you know, I kind of add that point to it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. I, I kind of wanted to jump off, piggyback off Joey there. I think most coaches listening, they can recognize and they can kind of agree with what a, what a winning culture may look like, but I think many struggle creating it and then implementing it. What advice mm -hmm. would you give for coaches that might struggle with creating culture or getting their guys to buy in? First and foremost, you know, you can't take it lightly. Um, it's not a buzzword that you just throw around. I feel like, you know, you hear about culture, culture, culture all the time. Um, you know, if you're going to talk about culture or, or creating one, you can't rush the process of creating it just to say that this is our culture. Um, you know, you have to let your entire program, you know, be involved in that process because although you might be there for years to come, you're going to continue to have lots of different players come through with lots of different backgrounds and personalities. Um, and it's not important what you know or think culture should be. It's more important what they think and believe that the culture should be. If you're the only one involved, you may find yourself being the only one who values and believes in it. So, you know, for any coach out there, I think that, you know, the biggest key is, you know, take the time, you know, everyone wants to get, get into the X's and O's and get on the field and stuff. But I feel like, honestly, if you, you know, if you understand how important culture is, take the time to devise a plan. Um, think about your core values. Have your players, whether it be all of them or your captains, um, sit in and, and discuss with you, you know, what their key values, what they feel the key values of the program should be, and then define what falls under those values. Um, and then, once you have that buy-in and that ownership, I feel like you can start to kind of, uh, you know, verbalize what your culture is and define it. And lastly, most important to me is it, you don't have a culture until your kids can define it. It's really easy for a coach to, you know, talk to someone and say, well, this is what we're all about. But a real true, uh, I think, telltale sign of a, of a program that has a culture is a, is a program that where if you ask any player, uh, from senior to freshman, you know, what's your culture or what's, what's your core values and what do they mean? If they can come to you right away with the answer, uh, then you have a culture. Uh, but if you only have, if you can only ask that kid who's a four-year starter and he's been, you know, on the varsity team the whole entire time, and if you ask the kid next to him, he's going to shrug his shoulders and say, oh, I don't know. I don't think that you really truly have taken the time to develop your culture. What a great point. No, uh, absolutely great point. And, you know, another thing, a part of that is I'm sure throughout your coaching career, um, you've had moments where your culture was being threatened. Um, can you talk about those moments and can you talk about how you chose to handle them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, probably be, <laughs> probably be difficult to go into each example without running <laughs> over here. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll start. I mean, more recently, uh, a couple of seasons ago, um, you know, we, we had won our conference six straight years uh, we had a very senior heavy team I think we had about 15 seniors on the team you know I felt like the issue was you know we forgot uh, the recipe for what had made us so successful we had uh, become lackadaisical and how we went about our day-to-day -day. 
Uh, we didn't put as much pride into our daily work that we've always done. We, we basically started to go through the motions. It became, you know, we're doing this drill because, you know, just because we always do it instead of understanding the why. Um, you know, we do this drill and we do this drill to the best of our ability because it's something that's important and it's going to help us win a game or, you know, perfect something at some point. Um, to me, the, I was the one who violated the culture there as head coach because I wasn't holding them accountable um, like I should have been. I let them get away with the effort levels of practice not being what, you know, we expected. You know, we end up losing the league and our conference title to a very, really talented rival of ours. Um, we lost both games to them one nothing. Uh, because we failed to execute the little, the little things that we had always harped on in practices that had kind of gone by the wayside. So we were all guilty of not living up to the culture and the standards we set. But, and while it was too late for me to change that in terms of, you know, rebounding and winning our league, um, what I chose to do is I spent almost half a day of practice after, you know, that loss and realizing that, you know, we weren't going to win our, our league again to talk about the state tournament and talk about where we went wrong together and how to fix it. Uh, you know, I'm happy to say we rebounded. We went on to win the state championship, which was a nice end to that year. Uh, but after the season and the dust settling from the state t- championship win, you know, again, I called a meeting with all of our returning players for the following season, and we talked about what we needed to change. Um, and by change, I mean it wasn't really change as much as getting back to things that we used to value. Um, and we built off that last season by really coining the phrase within our program, protect your culture above all else. But even with that, last year we had another issue. Uh, we had a player, you know, basically openly rude against a younger player because uh, he didn't feel that player should be playing and, uh, you know, didn't trust him to perform at the level. You know, so the kid was a very competitive player. He wanted our team to win, and he didn't believe that a teammate could get the job done. Um, this was a kid that I taught as a student. I worked with him as an instructor. I coached him for four years uh, at the varsity level. But I had no choice but to, you know, sit him down mid-season on a game day during, you know, during the school day, and inform him of how I saw that as a clear-cut violation of what we're about. Uh, we can't accept that sort of behavior, and that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to tolerate it. You know, it was really, really difficult because I knew he was sorry he'd done it. I believe he knew he, I he had known at that point that he was wrong for doing it. But I still had to choose to suspend him and have him miss two games, including the game we were going to be leaving for in a couple of hours. Um, one of those games happened to be a huge league game, and we were sputtering last year. We were at one point, I think, um, you know, 15 and 7. And, you know, he would have started in that league game, and I'm sure some of the players and I'm sure even some of my own coaches and, and I'm sure parents probably thought I was nuts suspending a star player in the thick of our you know season when we really couldn't afford to lose another game. Um, but the team responded. And, you know, we won both those games. Uh, he was welcomed back with, el- with open arms after those two games because we believe no one's perfect, and it's how you respond after you mess up that truly matters. Uh, he went on to be a huge part of our success. I felt like our culture was repaired, expectations were set, and uh, we actually closed out the year by winning 15 games in a row uh, to regain our conference championship and, and, and pile on another state title. Um, now, I'm not saying it's because of that incident, but regardless of the outcome, I still felt that I had to do what I had to do in both those cases because it all goes back to leadership. If we talk about culture and standards, but nothing gets enforced and there's no accountability, um, then I really feel that I'd be failing as a leader. Yeah, good for you. I think that that's a good point. You know, I think 
it's more important to maybe lose a couple games than lose your entire team by not holding, yeah. you know, everyone, including yourself accountable. So good for you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I, I kind of wanted to throw this one in a little curveball. How is the way you've handled those issues, you know, over the course of your career, how has that changed from, you know, your early years till now? Great question. Um, you know, I think probably as a, you know, young coach, like I said, I got started as a head coach, you know, when I was 27, you know, I wasn't far removed from college baseball, which is, you know, very cutthroat, all about winning, winning, winning. Um, you know, I think if this would have happened back then, I probably would have been more concerned with wins and losses, you know, more concerned with, well, I, well, you know, I know he screwed up, but I need that kid on the field. Whereas now, like I said, defend your culture uh, you know, above all else. Um, you know, as as an older, wiser coach, I'd say, <laughs> um, I felt like what you just said, it, it was more, my responsibility is to the rest of those kids in that dugout. Uh, my responsibility is to do what's right, not what's best to, to win a ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably where, you know, I, probably, I handled that a lot differently now at my age and my experience than I probably would have as a younger coach. You know, as a younger coach, you want to prove yourself. And you think proving yourself is winning as many games as you possibly can. Um, as an older coach, I think you, you start to realize that that's not how you prove yourself. You prove yourself by sticking to, you know, your ethics, your morals, your values. Um, because, like I said, winning comes and goes. That's the one thing you can't compromise. And I can't afford, like you said, to lose, you know, my entire team um, trying to win a game when I, when I should be doing what's right by them. And I think, you know, that's probably something that over time and maturity that I, I've learned that lesson and, and hopefully continue to, to employ that. Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, Fred, uh, you're involved at the high school level, a couple of different platforms. Uh, what's it like being on both sides of amateur baseball, being a high school coach, and then also being involved at the AAU uh, world? It's interesting, to say the least. Um, you know, to be clear, like, I believe the boom of the AAU world uh, has done wonders for our game and for our players. Uh, it's provided exposure and opportunities to be seen and recruited by, you know, schools and pro scouts that wasn't happening 20, maybe even 15 years ago. Um, it's given us great venues for kids to see the rest of the talent pool out there in terms of players from other states and regions that they may not have even known were out there. Um, it also allowed players to realize just how competitive this game is and will be as you continue to move forward in it. Uh, however, you know, and I, I actually was asked to do like a, almost a blog for somebody on this, and I and I coined the coined it the AAU ball, the necessary evil, uh, mm-hmm. because because I do believe it is a hundred percent absolutely necessary uh, in my mind because that's just how it works now. You know, when I talk to uh, coaches about players, you know, both in my school and other schools, uh, usually it revolves around them seeing them in the summer at a, at a showcase, at an event, at a, at a tournament that's involved in AAU. Um, their coaches aren't attending many high school games in the spring because they're playing. Um, they're not coming to many Legion games in the summer because, you know, they're not going to go watch a 7.30 p.m. Legion game in some town when they can watch, you know, 14 games in a day um, on a weekend at a perfect game event. Um, so I feel like, you know, schools are spending their time and resources at showcase events and tournaments throughout the country. Um, if, if you're not involved with AU, it's extremely difficult. 
you know, to draw attention and get seen unless, you know, you're just off the charts good. I, you know, I, the old adage, if you're good enough, they'll come find you. Um, I still feel like that's true, um, but you have to be really good for that to happen. That said, I, I feel like AAU baseball also hurts our players. Uh, and what I, I say this because of the culture created by it. You know, it's not baseball in its purest form. Um, you, you know, families are paying loads of money, you know, to play on certain teams and, you know, basically buying opportunities to play uh, in the hopes their kids will get recruited. And while I hope every kid that puts on uniform wants to win uh, and every coach that coaches an AAU team wants to win, uh, I think when they step on the field, I feel like AAU makes that still a secondary motivation. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've seen a kid go 0 for 4 and his, his team wins a big AAU tournament, but that kid's walking, you know, to the car with his head down and moping and, and, and upset um, because some coach was there watching and feels like he blew his shot. It's impressive. Uh, on the other hand, I, I, I've seen a team get blown out, but a kid, a kid has a big day and, uh, you know, throws 89 on the radar gun, so he's smile ear to ear. So he's perfectly content because he stood out. You know, I feel like the purpose is good, but the priorities can be skewed. As an AAU coach, I, I, there are certain things I can't do that I would probably do in a, in a high school game. Um, I can't pull a pitcher that might be struggling early uh, from a game, you know, because he probably already reached the pitch count that won't allow him to throw again in that weekend tournament. Um, and he was promised a certain amount of innings to pitch or, or that expectation was set. Um, just like I can't keep a kid in that might be, you know, dealing, might have a perfect game going. Because a certain coach said he was showing up in the fourth inning to watch another kid who I said was probably going to throw the last couple innings pitch. And I feel like I'm responsible to make sure I get that pitcher in the showcase because, you know, maybe that coach is heading out of town the next day to go watch another game or another event. Um, so it, it really changes the way you manage the game. It really changes the way you approach um, how you're going to coach that day. Uh, you know, I, I never stepped on the field not wanting to win, but at the same time, you know, there are certain things I can and can't do, I think, in an AAU world uh, to, to be responsible to the players that are, you know, that are paying uh, the cost to be on that team. You know, uh, the little things, too. Fundamentals aren't as big a part of AAU. I've seen players and, and college coaches upset a kid walk in a game, you know, meaning, you know, four balls get to the walk because they want to see him swing. You know, they want to see what he can do with the bat. You'll see a kid swing at a bad pitch just not to walk. Uh, you see a kid, you never really see hit and runs or bunts much in AAU because no one believes they're going to get a scholarship by, you know, doing that. I also feel like it's great that the, the kids can show the college coaches what they can do athletically with their raw skills. But it's also doing a little bit of a disservice to those same college coaches because when they actually get the kids to campus, they're probably going to have to teach them a lot of the same skills and mindset that isn't found in the AAU game. They're going to have to teach them, you know, how to play small ball, how to be a good teammate, you know, how to, you know, a lot of those things that you're not seeing um, in that environment. Now, I, I know some might argue with me on that one, but watching as long as I have up close and personal, I, I do see a huge gap between the value kids place on, on being good teammates, playing winning baseball and the little things during the high school season than I do in the summertime during the AAU season. But again, you know, I, I find AU to be the most valuable source in order for the kids to have those opportunities to play in front of the coaches and catch their eye to earn those possible, you know, scholarships and, and uh, you know, recruitments. You know, we're lucky uh, at Malvern Prep. You know, we have a good reputation uh, as a baseball program and, and the relationships we've formed through the years with some colleges has helped our players get seen in the spring. 
you know, we'll have guys come out to our games uh, when they're in town or close enough to, or you know, they'll have a, if they're off that weekend. But I've also talked with college coaches that have also never been to or spoken to a high school coach uh, and rely solely on the AAU coach. To me, I find that almost irresponsible uh, because I find it unlikely that an AAU coach, and there's nothing against AAU coaches, but they just, how are they supposed to know that kid uh, as well as a whole person than his school coach, who might also know him as a student uh, in terms of his character, his makeup, his academics, um, you know, what he's really like as a whole person. Because I feel like a college is really recruiting not just the, the athlete, but the kid. Um, you know, and, and I just feel like some people probably know that kid more than, than an AAU, AAU coach might, but that's the person that they're going to talk to, you know. Again, I don't, I'm not. I hope I'm not coming off as trash because I do like AAU. I just I like to think of it as something that there's no doubt 100% necessary for most. Uh, has a lot of great benefits, but there's also a lot about AAU that I don't like. The tournaments, even the tournaments, you know, you, <laughs> makes me shake my head. Uh, mm-hmm. A game ends and you know a young kid comes over and uh, says, "Hey, coach, we're going to try to start this next game in 15 minutes." You know, your team hasn't had a chance to get into the dugout. Your starting pitcher hasn't even put his spikes on yet. Um, and then, you know, you're told the ground rules that there's a hard stop on the game at a certain time limit. Um, it's just, you know, the money side of it, the business side of it, to me, that's just not baseball. Um, I get it. Uh, but I also realize that, that and this is the best that we have right now. I just hope that, you know, we as a baseball community can find a way to do it better as we continue to grow the game. Well, yeah, I think that, you know, it would make more sense for these coaches to maybe get these players on their radar, kind of recognize them through the AAU circuit. But for me, I'd like to go see them how they are as a teammate and how they act as a competitor through their high school season, those guys they play with, and really get to know the player through their high school coaches. That would seem, would seem to make more sense to me. Agreed. Agreed. I, you know, and even something as simple as, you know, when, when's the last time in an AAU tournament you saw, got to see a team take infield outfield? Um, you know, or, or batting practice, you know, because they're in such a rush to get as many games done throughout the day. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of college coaches that, you know, they can see more from an infielder during IO than they're going to see during a game where he might not have a ball hit to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're going to see him execute a relay throw or execute, you know, a slow roller, or, you know, a backhand ground ball or a double play turn that there is no guarantee that's going to happen in the course of a, a two hour game. Um, but you're right. Like in terms of, I think AAU is a good spot to get them exposure, to get onto that radar, get onto that short list of guys they need to go see. But then I think ultimately, you know, that's where I think, and some schools are probably better at this than others, and some recruiters are probably better uh, at this than others. I think the next big step is diving in and then find, all right, look, we saw the kid's talent. Now let's go find out as much as we can about the kid and if he's a good fit for what their culture is. Yeah, all really great points and perspectives. Um, Looking at that side of the game, and, you know, when I, I'm kind of going to take you back towards, you know, high school here and, and kind of talk about some of those hurdles now. And, you know, what would you say is your biggest hurdle with high school athletes when it comes to mentality? Um, I'd say you know, intrinsic motivation uh, and consistency in their effort and their focus. Um, you know, we're fortunate enough that we, you, we get to play unlimited games in the spring as a private school. So, you know, we'll play close to, you know, 40 games um, as a high school program it's real easy to get a team and, and players motivated uh, to play their best and sharpest brand of baseball versus, you know, a big league rival with a lot in the line or, you know, another out of state team that, you know, may also have a, 
you know, be ranked nationally or be one of the best teams in their state. Um, the difficulty for me is, is bottling up that same focus when you're playing a team that, you know, our kids might expect to beat or, or the day after you play a really difficult game or on your fourth or fifth game that week. You know, getting your kids to motivate themselves internally to be the best they can be and bring the same focus and energy each day, no matter who their opponent is or even if we're just practicing, um, can be really challenging. Uh, they have a lot going on, they, you know, their studies, their social life, home life, um, that you never know if they're, you know, they're able to truly check in and be all in that day focused on just playing baseball with the best of their ability. Uh, it's really tough sometimes. And as a coach, you, you truly do have those days where you, your team's locked in and you wish you could just bottle it up and just save it and bring it with you every day to practice, to games, and just make sure that that energy level and, and focus and motivation was there. Um, but, you know, getting those players up each day, um, you know, is one of the hardest things to do because they have so much going on. And, you know, baseball's not everything to them, and, and that's fine. It shouldn't be. But, you know, that could be difficult. You know, another one for me, you know, for lack of a better word, is just reality. Uh, you know, each year we, we have lots and lots of players that think they're working hard and doing everything they can to get better. Um, but a lot of them don't, truly don't know what hard work actually is. Uh, and that's not, you know, me taking a shot at my own players or anything like that. It's just they may think because they went and hit on their own or fielded some ground balls or, or went to the gym a few days that week that, you know, that they're doing what they need to do uh, or what they're supposed to do to get better. Trying to drive home the fact that there's always more you can be doing to get better, um, both as a player and as a person, is something that's hard to coach. Getting them to understand that no matter how hard they work, there's always someone else out there that's not only better at this time, but is working harder to stay better than they are. Um, you know, driving that home can be difficult with kids, especially when they, you know, they're successful. You know, they've been, they've been told their whole life how good they are. You know, it's hard to make sure that they understand, like, your, your job, your responsibility is, you know, to keep them, you know, confident, but also make sure that they understand there's a lot of really good baseball players in this world. Uh, and if you want to go as far as you can in this game, you know, you got to keep working harder because there's always going to be someone else out there. And the last piece for me would be, you know, the entitlement. You know, and I don't want to come off as the, you know, the grumpy old guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a grumpy guy. And, uh, you know, I'm not that old. But this generation, <laughs> you know, definitely, um, you know, has issues with entitlement and, and believing things should, you know, just happen for them. Uh, you know, sometimes it's the kid. Sometimes, you know, it can be outside influences that may be coming from home or, or from his friends or, you know, even something, you know, like private instructors or, or whoever. The bottom line is that, you know, I try to, te try to treat each kid fairly uh, and allow them to earn their opportunities no matter who they are and no matter how others might view me because of that. You know, I just want to prepare them for the real world the best I can and be as honest with them as I possibly can. Uh, but, you know, once that entitlement stuff creeps in with a ki within a kid's daily life, it can take a really long time to get rid of that mindset. Uh, and that's, you know, something that it's become more and more challenging um, each year, uh, you know, especially with, you know, we're a private school. Um, you know, kids grow up uh, a lot, you know, not all of our players, but some of them come from a, a pretty affluent background where, you know, they haven't had a, a lot to struggle over. Um, so they're, they're used to things sometimes working out for them and, and coming easy for them. Uh, and, and their parents sometimes can be the same way. 
um, to try to get them to understand that you know that's not how the world's going to always work. You know, can can be a challenge. Yeah, I think you nailed it right on the head. Not only there, but really throughout the entire conversation. And Joe and I really appreciate you appreciate you hopping on and sharing your perspectives for our listeners. If any of them would like to reach out to you about anything you covered today, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they could, I could be reached via email. Um, you know, I, I would love to hear from people out there. I love to talk coaching. Um, you know, love to, a lot of my own ideas have been formulated from other great coaches. I think that's what makes coaching great, but they can reach me via email at, uh, F as in Fred Hilliard, H I L L I A R D J R at gmail.com. Um, they can also follow me or, or my team on Twitter, um, you know, at Coach Hilliard 16, the number one six, or uh, at MP Fryer Baseball on Twitter. That's awesome. Well, Fred, I also, too, again, just as a thank you for you being on, you know, we got an open mic for you. So anything else you'd like to add or anything you'd like to talk about? This is, you know, open mic. Go ahead. Oh, wow. Um no, I, I just think, you know, the biggest thing for, for coaches out there is remember why you're doing it. Um, you know, it, it like I said, it, it's great to have success. It's great to, to win and, and great to see your kids celebrate and have that those moments. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, the impact you can have on a young man and, and who he becomes is, is your responsibility. And that, that, you know, don't worry about what your scoreboard says or what your record says. Uh, for me, you know, we just recently had homecoming this past weekend, and I, you know, obviously I try to get up there, watch the football team, support them. But you know, just running into former players, uh, kids you haven't seen in years, and, and you know, the way they light up to come see it, and you know, how much you could tell that you've meant to them, um, and the lessons you taught them. To me, that that will replace you know any trophy or you know dog pile or, or championship T-shirt you know that you'll ever gain in this game. So, you know, for coaches out there, just just keep that in mind as you, as you go through this and, you know, stick to your values and uh, understand that, that that's your ultimate goal. That you're, you're trying to, to help these young men turn into great men. Absolutely. Well, Fred, that's a great way to wrap it up. We thank you again and thank you for your time and giving back to the game. Guys, I can't appreciate uh, can't thank you guys enough. Um, really appreciate you guys having me on and I had a blast. Thanks. Thanks, Fred. Man, Fred is awesome. Great that he could sit down with us again. This call takeaway is brought to you by Quality at Bats. Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. Yeah, man, Coach Hillier kind of put on a clinic on developing culture. What was your biggest takeaway, Joey? Um, I think I really loved, you know, again, how they embodied that message of protecting your culture at all costs. And so, you know, again, if you really like dive deeper and you think through that is at any point, um, just identifying that the culture is the reason why they are where they are and the reason why they've been able to achieve what they've achieved in the past. And so, you know, if, if you take on that mentality of understanding that and giving it the weight that it deserves, I think it really just sets forth a very positive, um, you, know, you know, just idea for players to embody and continue to push that forward. But how about you, Bo? Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of reiterate yours. I loved how we touched on accountability, you know, implementing and making sure your players understand what's been built, but then giving them the accountability to divide, to define and then kind of move that forward. Uh, you know, it's pretty apparent as to why he's had so much uh, success there in Pennsylvania, but uh, I'd say that's my biggest takeaway. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, guys, you know, 
uh, one thing I just wanted to press here is, you know, especially we're here with this particular episode is one of Fred's players actually reached out to us and, you know, just said that we should talk to him and, and get him on the podcast. And so and I know that every single week, you know, we talk to you guys about um, reaching out to us, talking to us about people that you'd love to hear on the show and et cetera. But I know that, you know, especially players and all coaches, we all had players ourselves. There's someone that impacted us and someone that, you know, again, maybe that's your way of, you know, giving back to them. And it's just, you know, just really uh, giving them a pump of, of someone that really deserves some recognition. So again, um, you know, reach out to us, uh, talk to us about who you want to, you know, you want to hear from um, people that you really look up to people that mentor you, maybe not directly, maybe it's through books, maybe you follow them on Twitter, maybe it's someone that's been just really uh, influential in your life. Um, and reach out to us and, and, and talk about this episode and share this episode. Um, you know, Fred is a high level mind, definitely at that high school level and just, you know, just, uh, just killing it over there. And so as always, you know, just, you know, show him some love, um, give him a follow and until next time, farm system out.